God, you know that I'm not able. And Lord, your word is all sufficient. And so we pray, Father, right now, as a church, that you would speak to us through your word, in spite of a foolish preacher, in spite of my weakness, Lord, I pray that you would speak and that your word would go forth and that as you tell us in Isaiah 55, it would not return void, but would accomplish the task set before it. Father, we have people in this place this morning and you know so much better than we do. People that are hurting, people that have lost all their strength and need to know that you are stronger. So Lord, please continue to teach us and show us and draw us into your presence. We ask that you would speak and move and add your blessing to the reading, to the teaching, to the proclamation of your holy word. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to take it and turn with me once again to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews will be in chapter 4 this morning. Hebrews chapter 4. We'll be reading verses 1 through 16. As you find your place in sacred scripture, I am going to ask you to stand once again out of respect for the word of the Lord, but also because I want to make sure the teenagers don't fall asleep just yet. So, we are in Hebrews chapter 4. The word of the Lord says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished, from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts for if Joshua had given them rest God would not have spoken of another day later on so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience for the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning thoughts and intentions of the heart and no creature is hidden from his sight but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The writer of Hebrews is continuing some of the same thought from chapter 3 as we move on in to chapter 4. We learned in chapter 3 that we are not, that the, this place is not the house of the Lord, that we are the house of the Lord. We are the Lord's house. And then he continues to urge us not to harden our hearts. And you can see that he's still in the same thought process, in the same frame of mind, because he quotes it once again in chapter 4. But he begins to make this distinction as he's still referencing the Joshua and Moses Exodus event, still talking about the Israelites coming up out of Egypt. He's still referring back to them and referring to their rest in the same way that sometimes we get confused about which house is the house of the Lord. Sometimes we confuse this as the house of the Lord when we are the house of the Spirit of the Lord. In the same way, we sometimes get confused and think that the promised land is a place in Israel. It's a physical location called Jerusalem and the surrounding area. But what we are talking about is the rest that God promised the Israelites. He's speaking of this rest and saying, this is not the rest, the promised land, the physical location across the Jordan River. That's not the rest that I promised them. He's saying that there is a better rest. There is a better promised land. It's not just a place where the milk and honey flow. It's not just a place where the ground produces very well. It's not just a place for Israelites and Jewish people to call their own, but it is a paradise For all of God's children. And he makes the distinction that God's children are not just those who are descended from Abraham. Those who enter God's rest are the ones who believe on him who paid the price to buy that rest for us. That's what he's talking about. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Do you know what the problem with those wandering in the wilderness was? The problem was not how much they griped and complained. The problem was God said, I've prepared a place for you. Believe me and I'll take you there. And the people who wandered in the wilderness did not believe God. Their disobedience was not just in their grumbling and their griping and their complaining. Their disobedience was, no, 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 you don't understand, they're really tall. Like, I've just never seen people that tall. We're not going to be able to take that land. I know you promised us that land, God, but we sent spies into that land. And you said that would be our rest, but there's like really tall people there. At the end of the day, when it boils down, that's that's their concern, is height. Listen, I know that NBA players are tall, but I'm not so afraid of them that when God says, hey, Nathan, you can play in the NBA, I'm not going to at least go give it a shot. I mean, God's going to have to perform some miracles to make me be able to play in the NBA. But if he speaks clearly and says I'm supposed to, I'm not going to be afraid of the height of the NBA players. That's what the Israelites felt. They were faced with such 
adversity that they said, we no longer believe what God says and we will sit right here. You understand that in that story, they chose not to go. They took a vote and everybody voted and said, I don't care what God told us. I'm going to sit right here. Have you ever had that conversation with your child? No, 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 we're going. No, 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 you don't understand. I'm going to sit right here. No, 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 we're going. I don't know. I am not going. You ever had that conversation with your child? I hadn't got to that point yet, but I pray for my children if they ever do this. All right. It's not going to be good for them. I promise you that. This is what the Israelites did. They said, Dad, we know you are omniscient. You are all powerful. You are all knowing, but we ain't going over there. They directly refused a command of God because of their faithlessness. And folks, God swore, because you don't believe me, God says you will not enter my rest. These are the warnings that we have been getting. If you don't believe God, you will not enter his rest. And we're not just talking about a physical land. We're talking about the true promised land, heaven, paradise, in the very presence of God. Those who do not believe God, that do not believe in the Son, that do not believe in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the ones that do not strive to follow Him, will not enter God's rest. That's the analogy from the front half of chapter 4. That God has a rest prepared for us, but only if you believe. There was a rest, a physical rest that was a picture that was prepared for the Israelites. But because they did not believe God, that generation wandered for 40 years until everyone who was of fighting age and older died. 600,000 people died in 40 years. Nine funerals a day. Nine funerals a day for 40 years because they refused to believe God. And folks, the writer of Hebrews is begging us to believe God. He quotes this passage once again from Psalm 95, and David is referring back to that Exodus time, but he's quoting David And he says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It's it's really incredible because I got to be honest with you, the theme and the the materials for small groups did not come in very quickly this particular year. The speaker admitted from the stage for the Disciple Now conference that he was wrestling with what God was leading him to for this weekend. And he said, I, you know, it took me a long time. All the, all the youth ministers were reaching out to him like, hey, dude, we got people to give the small group material to, and we need you to get that material to us so we can give it to them. And he wrestled and wrestled. So I, I, I had no idea the stronger than yesterday and, and what all he would speak on way back when the Lord told me that we were supposed to go through Hebrews. And so here we are today, and we stumble across Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 12, and I I just have to believe that's a divine appointment. That God was speaking to the speaker for D now, Mr. Joey Hill, in the same way that he was speaking to me. Because we need to hear the same message that he gave to them, just using slightly different scripture. Look with me again 
at Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Listen, this is not just some random passage about the Bible in the Bible. This is in the context of warning to believe the Word of God. So there is a reminder that this is the Word of God that should be believed. The same way that God urged the Israelites to believe Him, that He would provide, we are urged to believe the Word of God. Now there is a lot of argument that goes on in scholars, in scholarly places that I don't visit or frequent, about what the Word being referred to here is talking about. Are we talking about the Word, the written Word? Because he is referencing Psalm 95, John Owen will say that this is a reference to the written word, the scriptures themselves. John Calvin will say that this is a reference to Jesus, who is the word. Remember, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word is the scriptures, or the word is Jesus. And then Charles Spurgeon comes along and Golly, we all love Spurgeon, don't we? I mean, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you, you know about this man. He could just preach circles around everybody. And he's incredible. And he comes along and he says, is it Jesus? Is it the Scriptures? Yes. Gee, thanks, Spurgeon, for clearing all that up. Jesus, our Savior, is the Word. And the Scriptures are the Word. And the purposes of each are so entangled that classifying one or the other to the exclusion unravels them both. So when you come to the Word of God, how does the Word of God, how is it alive? It's alive because the Word is our Savior and our Savior lives. We do not serve a dead, deceased Savior. We serve a risen Savior who is in the world today. And His Word is active and alive. One of my favorite parts about this verse is that because the Word is alive, whether or not you respond or are touched by what I'm doing up here has nothing to do with me. It's not on me. I'm supposed to get up here, I'm supposed to expound the Word of God, but God's Word, our Savior, and this text interwoven together is alive and active and able to pierce your heart, whether I say, Romans 4.12, for the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And I sit down. That's powerful enough on its own. Have you all ever noticed that I'm not really even that good of a motivator? When I try to get you guys to sign up for stuff, have you ever noticed the sign-up sheets stay blank? It's not on me. Because if it was on me, I can't motivate you very well. Maybe I one Sunday get just super passionate and, and in my own strength I can make you go, wow, that was great. But by the afternoon, it's over. You don't even remember what was said. But when it's God's Word, that is moving and powerful and active within our hearts, and we believe in His Word, then His Word will remain in our hearts. It will be etched on our souls. It will divide down to our very bones. It will be shut up within our 
bones. Don't miss that God's Word is powerful on its own. God's Word is valuable. And God's Word stands the test of time. of What God is saying through the author of Hebrews. By making an analogy to reference those leaving Egypt in the Exodus. Their unbelief, God is saying, don't disbelieve the Word. Believe God's Word. Listen, there are plenty of people in this world that want to be very skeptical of God's Word, and I invite them to continue in their skepticism. But the problem is, we are still able, just as we said last week, from 1 Thessalonians 5.19, we are able to quench the Spirit. God's Word is living and active, but the author, for the third time, in two chapters, for the third time, he says, today, this day, if you hear the voice of the Lord, if you hear this living and active and powerful Word, don't harden your heart. Church, when you hear God's Word, allow God's Word to pierce your heart. I just want you to think of the analogy of a sword that stabs into our heart to cut us, to change us, to affect us. It hurts, but maybe you have a hole in your heart and you need surgery and we got to cut that chest open to get to the heart to fix it. Allow God's Word to cut us open like that. But if we harden our hearts and make our hearts as hard as stone, you can't cut open a stone. You can't fix a hardened Solid rock. You and I have the ability to quench God's Spirit and harden our hearts. That's why all of these people who come to the Bible with skepticism, there are so many of them that find good excuses and good reasons in their mind for why this is not true. Because they're not allowing God's Word to pierce them and change them. Folks, this Word has power. But God is also a God who will give us the choice to come to Him. He will draw us to Him. But you and I have the ability to harden our own hearts so that these words fall on deaf ears. Do you ever notice that every time that Jesus is speaking and preaching, He says, He who has ears, let him hear. If you don't have ears to hear it, don't listen. When was the last time when you were reading about Jesus that you remember him begging non-believers to believe? Pharisees, if you'll just trust me, I promise I'm the Messiah. Believe in me, please. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, I am the Messiah. Deal with it. Jesus says, you want to believe? You can believe because it's true. But if you don't, if you don't have ears to hear, I got another town to talk to. Jesus doesn't beg the unbelievers that he preaches to to come and trust in him. He presents the truth and says, believe it or don't. But I am the Messiah. He does everything he can to make it plain and clear to them. Claims to be divinity over and over again. 
Read the Gospel of John and you'll be wondering, how on earth did Jesus minister for three years? How did they not kill him after six months? He's clearly claiming to be God. But there were still plenty of people that didn't have ears to hear, that didn't have eyes to see, that didn't have hearts to understand. And Jesus said, here's the truth. Do with it what you will. So folks, here's the truth this morning. We serve a God who created everything there is. We serve a God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. They are three in one. And that one triune God created everything by the power of His voice. Through the spoken word. Loved us enough to create us out of dust and mud and breathe life into us. Wanted a relationship with us where we chose to follow Him and love Him. And yet we chose rebellion. We chose to be our own gods and not love Him as God. And so when the pivotal moment came where God in all of His power should have wiped the slate clean and said, I'll just start over and make a new creation. I'm done with humanity. I'll make some other creation. Instead, He chose to redeem To make a way for His wayward and rebellious children like me to have a relationship with Him by taking on the very flesh and blood that we walk around in. By experiencing every temptation that we experience and conquering those temptations and nailing those temptations to a cross to be crucified. To die and stay dead for three days. To be in a grave. And then our Father spoke and said, it's time. He's been in the grave too long. And the stone burst forth from the covering. And the guards ran and shook in terror. And the angel said, come on, Jesus, we got places to go. We got people to see. And our Savior is alive today. Our Savior is living and active He is sharper than any two-edged sword. And He divides bone and marrow, soul and spirit because He is alive and active among us today. That is the truth. This morning, you have an opportunity to believe it and follow Him. When He says, let's go fight the giants, you say, come on, I'm with you. You believe Him, no matter how crazy No matter how sensible it may sound. So this morning, that's the truth. We serve a risen Savior who's in the world today. Will you follow Him? Or will you harden your heart and ignore Him? Let's pray. God, thank You for Your Word and the power within it. Thank you that your word is living and active. Lord, thank you that it's dependent upon you and your spirit and upon your people for how we will respond. God, we love you. We need you. We ask that as we offer up small portion of time to respond to your living and active word, 
that you would move among us. That you would help us to be obedient. To respond to your word by submitting to you as our Lord and Savior. By trusting you and following you wherever you may lead. God, we give this time over to you because it belongs to you anyway. We ask all these things in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.